It's wonderful to hear the Word of God and to see the faces of our friends and family as we uh, listen to them talking about Philippians chapter 2. We want to welcome you today um, to this opportunity to just take a few moments and consider God's Word and to think about how we uh, as believers can receive help, correction, encouragement, a change in our hearts uh, by allowing Jesus Christ to be uh, everything in us. Perhaps you're like me, uh, coming to the end of the coronavirus situation, all of the uncertainty, the uh, being distanced from one another and from family, you begin to feel the effects of um, how this is um, not something you want to go through again. But let me talk about some, a few things. One of the benefits of being in a season like this is that it, it, it changes our sensibilities. It causes us to think about what's really important to us. That's a gift. It also causes us to think about what props us up or what we use to prop up our lives. For example, busyness or um, fame or whatever it is that we do, production, being able to accomplish things. It causes us to pull back and Take a moment to pause and really consider, what am I doing with my life? What is God wanting to do in my life? And what is my relationship with him? It gives us an opportunity to look at what kingdom is really the source of our strength and our joy. Sometimes I think, looking back over the years, both in my own life and my family and those with whom I've worked, I think that sometimes as Christians, we try to live our life and have the joy and the peace of God's kingdom, but we still try, like the nation of Israel, to have our feet, one of, at least one of them, back in the nation of Egypt. We want the promised land, but we also want the comfort and familiarity of whatever was propping us up or whatever was giving our ego a boost or whatever was just helping us survive. I think in those situations, one of the tools that God uses to help us see where we have ourselves planted, where we have our feet securely placed, is in a situation like this. So I guess my encouragement here today is that we just wouldn't waste this opportunity. It's an awesome gift from God for us to think about what is going on in our life truly and how we manage it. A few weeks ago, Art labeled this agenda interruption, and I like that. I think that God is doing something very gracious in the times, even in these last uh, weeks where we feel stressed, we don't want to do another Zoom meeting, we don't want to do this or that, to stop and think about how God can use this agenda interruption to work in our lives. You know, I brought a toothpaste tube, and it's a good illustration of what happens. If I were to squeeze this tube, what's in it would come out. Sometimes in these situations, the situations are used by God to squeeze our lives. And when we see what is in there, we try to deny it, try to cover it, try to pretend it's not there like we would when our kids go in to brush their teeth and they leave toothpaste all over the counter. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 talks about something like this in our lives. 
But before we get to that point, I just want to make it obvious that what, what we are experiencing as believers, the frustration of it, is something that God is using. And it comes from the hand in our lives, not all circumstances, but God takes it, puts it in his hand, and he begins to use it because he deeply loves us. He deeply is committed to us. He deeply wants us to know the joy and the blessing of his kingdom. And so God allows us to be in situations that show us where we really are, where we have our feet planted, what kingdom that may be, and what things remain in us to still be changed and renewed by his spirit. In Colossians 1.9, it says this, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience and joy. Those words apply to our situation, doesn't it? Endurance, patience, joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. One of the things that the scripture uh, so clearly portrays for us is that there are two kingdoms. There is a kingdom of darkness. And Colossians tells us that we were once under the sway, the influence, the pressure, uh, the way of doing things in that kingdom of darkness. But Jesus has done something for us. God, through his son Jesus Christ, has transferred us into the kingdom of the son he dearly loves. And what that means is that the title deed of our lives was moved out of the influence or under the dark clouds of the kingdom of darkness, and, it was, and we have now been transferred into the kingdom of his son. What does it mean to have a kingdom or to be a king? It is not so much the territory of the land. It's the right to rule, the right to reign, the right to exercise your will in a given locality, a given space, a given group of people. And in this kingdom, it is Jesus Christ whose power and whose authority is in effect. It is a realm where, where what he desires to have accomplished is being expressed. We have been invited in the Lord's Prayer to actually pray that, not just into some remote place or some geographic region, but into the realm of our hearts. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Hebrews 1.8 says this, because of the Son, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter, the symbol of his right to rule and reign, is uprightness, that is the scepter of his kingdom. Romans 14, 17 says this, that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
So whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Serves in righteousness, serves in peace, serves in joy. You see, in those days when Jesus spoke this parable, um, or when this was written, rather, in Colossians, um, it would have been very obvious to the people that, that when you are um, under the subjugation of, a, of an evil or dark power and you are set free, it is quite common, even in, even in bad kingdoms, it was quite common for wholesale groups of people to be transferred from one location and, and replanted in another. And in that replanting and in that transfer, that group of people would have to learn a whole new way of thinking and a whole new way of living. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves. And we, like any other person in that period of time, will have to learn what it means to live with our king in this new location. Jesus gave us a parable in uh, Matthew 22. And it's here that Jesus says these really famous words, in my opinion, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. Jesus is telling us what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like. He said it's like this, a king gives a wedding feast for his son. Now, when we think of a wedding feast, that we think of something that we, we go to an event and then a few hours later we go and we sit down and we have a meal and we enjoy family and friends and then we go home. But in these days, a wedding feast was a big deal. Sometimes they could last as long as a week. And people would come and they would be feasted and fed and, and, and actually enjoy uh, all the blessings that were being laid upon them. And in this case, it's a king laying blessing, giving blessing, giving food, giving, giving enjoyment, giving peace, a place where you could lay aside your efforts and your work, and you could just enjoy the joy of the father who was blessing his son at the wedding feast. And so a king gives a wedding feast, and he sends his servants to call those who are invited to the feast, but it says they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest of us, while the rest of some of those people seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. So the king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers. He burned their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. So go, therefore, into the main roads and invite the wedding feast to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads, gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. And as a king does... <clears throat> Jesus said the king came back in and he looked at the guests. He inspected them. He saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment and he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth 
For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, I want to be very clear about something. We're not talking about uh, if we are struggling to overcome things in our lives, that our place in God's kingdom is called into question. That is not the purpose of what we are looking at today. What is the purpose is to understand that the kingdom of God, first of all, has a king. It's not a political choice. We didn't vote him in to be a king. He is a king by virtue of who he is. Jesus said right before his crucifixion, if my kingdom was of this world, my followers would fight. And so this king is not a king of the darkness or of this world. He's a different kind of king from a different kind of authority and, for a, and, for, and expresses his kingship in a different kind of way. One of the beautiful verses that I found in the Old Testament that really expresses the heart of God, especially when you think about how communities should live and function, is Zechariah 8. And in that portion of scripture, Zechariah 8, 4 through 5, the Lord, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be filled with boys and girls playing in the street. You see, that is the vision of our king. That is the vision of the kingdom of God. That we would enjoy not only him, not only the son, not only be led by the Holy Spirit, but we would be able to enter into a place of safety and joy and security. Jesus is the one whom we celebrate. He's fully man. He's fully God. And in this series that we've been talking about, we examine both the, the uh, humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus. We've talked about the fact that all authority and power has been given to him. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that nothing has been left outside of the control of the Son of God. The scripture tells us that he brings many sons to glory. One version puts it this way, he towers above all creation, and therefore he is also not ashamed because we are sons and daughters to introduce us as his brothers and sisters. So fire up your imagination for a minute. A king invites you to a banquet, and he introduces you as brother and sister. Our king has issued an invitation. The invitation requires some things of us. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gave us a really clear key about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, we're not being invited into a kingdom so that we can display our greatness but we are invited through the portal of humility. Jesus one time took a group of kids and he, and he pulled them together and he said, unless you become like these, you won't even be able to get in to the kingdom of heaven. The second thing that Jesus talked about in Matthew 5 that would, in the Beatitudes, is that we should have 
a thirst for righteousness. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So while we were invited into this feast where we're introduced as family, we are also needing to come with a humility and a thirst and a hunger because it's those who do those things, who are those things, who embrace those things, who are, who are able to receive all the blessing of the kingdom of God, the wedding feast of this great king. We are called to embrace the provisions, to allow him to define reality for us. Jesus once was talking and he said to his disciples, because Jesus was saying things and doing things. In fact, in this context, uh, it, was the, it was the John the Baptist who was not sure about the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. He had gotten to the place where it didn't add up for him. And Jesus said this uh, phrase, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Part of humility is the ability to let Jesus be Jesus even if he does that which offends you. Sometimes I think it's very, very easy to go to this feast clothed in our own righteousness clothed in our own understanding, clothed in our own perceptions. And most of those have been shaped when we were under the tutelage of the kingdom of darkness. And we've tried to bring that into the kingdom, into the marriage feast, into this great experience with God and his family. Sometimes I think that I try personally to straddle two kingdoms, and I don't even realize I'm doing it. And I don't enjoy the benefits, really, of either one. If we are invited by a king and we receive an invitation, we have a responsibility to fully enter the banquet wearing his garments and not ours. Another person said, it's our responsibility to go to the banquet to celebrate the sun not just to fill our face with food. You know, in the 1980s, Denise and I were really heavily involved in planting a church. We had a young family, two children, uh, soon to have another along the way. And in planting this church, I began to look for places where we could build a permanent home. And there was a piece of property located on Route 206 in northern New Jersey that I just knew would be perfect for our family. Not my personal family, but for our church family. And so I began to work a deal, and we had a deal in the process, and, and it was going to be an amazing deal. It was going to change everything. I had put all my hopes, and I want you to hear that. I had put all my hopes on this deal. At the very last minute, a national organization came in and bought it for full price out from under us the very last minute, my heart was broken. I just could not even see why God would uh, let this happen. To be honest, I was furious with him. I, I wasn't just a little upset. 
If I could have seen him in person, I probably would have spit in his face. I know that sounds awful, but that's where I was in my heart. Now, of course, I was preaching and leading worship, so no one knew it but God. But I was mad at him because I thought he failed me. I covered it well, and I continued to do ministry, but I was seething inside. You know, back then, I wanted my kids to have Sunday to be a special day for them. So I would go out every Sunday morning, and I would come back with bagels or donuts, something that just put a little bright spot because I knew it was going to be a hard day for them, lots of involvement and lots of people. And I decided to go to a bagel shop one day, one Sunday, and as I went to that shop, I went past this piece of property. And this beautiful building that I could not understand why God let me down and wouldn't give it to us was completely flat. It was as if somebody had imploded the building. And what, I, what happened was we had a heavy snow, and the snow crushed the supports of the building, and the entire building went flat. And I sat there for a long time and looked at that and went, God, I am so sorry. I am so sorry, because I thought according to my old master and not according to my new master. And you saw the end from the beginning. Can you imagine what it would do to a young pastor to have his congregation crushed in a building he fought to secure for them? God was way better than I thought he was. And I can tell you, all of those dark thoughts and all of those things didn't leave quickly, but I had to go to the cross and I had to allow God to change my heart because I not only wanted to, to deal with the sin of my ugly thoughts, but I wanted to do with the stain and the propensity that had been built into me while I was still under the sway of a, of a government that is dark and against God. So what did I lose in the process? In that process, I lost peace. I lost joy. I lost the sense of adventure with a good king. And I covered it with my own robes of righteousness. I sat at a marriage feast and said I was enjoying my relationship with this king and his son. And yet my heart was becoming far from it. You know, if this view is right, it should be seen in other places in scripture. And, and, and the person who did this in the parable, they gathered him up and they threw him into the place where he would be tormented. Uh, where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Does this sound like the parable that Jesus said that there was a man who was forgiven a great debt by a king and because he would not forgive someone else, he was given to the tormentors? Does this sound uh, like those who, um, who come to God and, and, and ask for great things but yet will not let God change their heart? I have a fire pit in my house. I love it. It's not in the house. It's actually at my house, thank you, thankfully. But one of the things about that is I, I noticed it, it's possible to stand next to a fire and not get warmed. And the purpose of this message is to try to have us think about how we need to have the processes of our mind and of our soul and of our flesh reformed by the circumstances, whatever they may be, 
so that we come face to face with a king who loves us. Our goal is to be oriented to our king and to enjoy the invitation he has given. Do you know that in Psalm 27, one, one of the ones, uh, Psalm 23, one of the ones we quote often, we are given a feast where? In the presence of our enemies. And it's to this kind of king and to this kind of feast that we are invited to come. James chapter 1 says this. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. When it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the joy, greatest joy you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. Do you know that's the, actually the literal translation of what the word shalom means? Nothing missing, nothing lacking. Paul said to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. Do you hear in that an aggressive approach rather than a passive approach? I do. That we are called to aggressively go after with God, with the Holy Spirit leading us with the scripture informing us the things of our lives that give us the wrong way of doing things, that will never give us the peace, give us the joy, give us the growth, give us the depth of relationship in God. There was a movie uh, that some of us uh, may know about. It's called The Matrix. And the concept of the movie was that we can be, uh, that people were living an hallucinatory life. They, they were in service to someone else. Their, their bodies were being used to harvest energy. And, they, and in exchange, they were kept docile because they were, they were fed uh, experiences and situations that never really happened. It just met their needs and their pleasure sensors. And there was a group of people who got free of that. And they went around trying to get other people free of that. And one of the protégés in the movie was being led by a man named Morpheus. And Morpheus said to him, you have to understand, most people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inured and so hopelessly dependent on the system that they will fight to protect it. I want to submit to you today that that's something I've observed not only in my own heart and people in my family, but also in the community of faith, that sometimes we are so trapped in the way that we used to think and the way that we used to live and try to survive that we cannot adopt or change or be transferred into the actual title deed of what God has invited us into, a marriage feast. So what are some things you could do? Well... These are things that I think can help us get on the journey. If, if you hear something here that stirs your heart to get on the journey, start or work on increasing your two-way conversation with God. Do you know if God is intelligent enough to create all that we see and all that we are? He is intelligent enough to communicate with us. So when 
you are in a situation and you begin to feel that something is squeezing your life and something is pressuring you and, and your marriage isn't working and your kids are problems and, and you're tired of being shanghaied in your own home and, you're, and, you're tired and you can't see where the funds are going to come. Increase your two-way communication with God. Ask him to enlarge your understanding of what kind of king he really is. Pursue not just talking at God, who wants that? But praying, or praying like he's not in the room, how effective is that? But ask him to teach you to hear his voice, to communicate with you. And you know, if, if you've not had a lot of experience with this, this is sort of clunky at first. But if you pursue it, he will teach you how to have that kind of relationship. Because that's the kind of God that he is. The second thing you can do is ask him for insight about where your journey is taking you or where you should go. One time I was uh, complaining to God because I was 36 years old and I didn't own my own home. And I went through a lot of conversation with him. And it was being forced on me because I was having a lot of conversation with people who were going, you know, you're 35 and you should have your own home. <laughs> and, and I thought, wow, I must be messing up. And so I'm out with a realtor looking for property for the church, and the realtor obviously wants to sell me a home, begins to put pressure on me. And, and, and I went back to God and I said, God, why are you not doing this? You said you would meet my needs. You know where I am in my giving. You know this and this and this and this. And in that conversation, what God communicated to my heart was, let me get this straight. Do you have any problem with how I've provided for you up to now? Well, no. So you're wanting me to provide for you now in a way so that when you are old, you will have to trust me less, not more. You see, it wasn't the house that God was worried about. I own a house. It was the condition of my heart and that I was putting my trust not in a king, but in a system because that's all I knew. And he wanted to free me of the bondage of the system. So ask for insight about your journey. Invite him to dig deeper into removing the culture that is so much a part of our lives because of our servitude in the kingdom of darkness in Egypt. The third thing is ask questions of God and let him ask questions of you, which sounds very similar to what I've already said. But listen and pay attention to the questions. His questions will lead you to ask things of yourself that you don't necessarily want to ask. His questions will provide fuel to further propel your depth of communication with him. And those questions that God will ask you sometimes come through the lips of your family, through your church community, through the scripture, through circumstances, and believe it or not, through people you'd rather not hear from. Why does God do this, and why is he inviting it into, us into it? Because he invested everything 
to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son he, he loves dearly. <clears throat> he invested everything. Romans 5 says, if he did that while we were his enemies, how much more does he want to do now that we're his friends? So my encouragement today is to turn your face to the invitation of a good king who invites you to pull aside from all the things that you think are more important and engage the marriage feast. Take off your own robes, all the things you use to prop yourself up and just enter in. The image that comes to my mind would be just be a crowd surfer. Just throw yourself off the stage and let God work in your life by his spirit and by his word. Talk to him about everything. And you will find that you have a seat in a kingdom that is made of righteousness, peace, and joy. Hey, thanks for listening today. God bless you. Did I pick it up?